Hey everybody, Tom Simmons here, content creator at HRP Associates and host of the 312 Podcast. We have a special episode for you today, because today we're sharing with you the first episode of a new podcast, yes, a new HRP podcast. Don't worry, the 312 Podcast isn't going anywhere. You'll still be able to get new episodes on the last month of every Wednesday. However, on a brand new feed, which you can find linked in the description below, you can subscribe to the PFOS Pulse podcast, or P3 as we like to call it in the office. Now, regular listeners to the podcast will have heard of PFOS before. However, if you don't know what PFOS are, I'll throw it over to Jackie Baxley for an explanation. But, but very high level, PFOS are per and polyfluoral alkyl substances. These are man-made substances that have been manufactured and used um, around the globe, really, since about the early 1940s or, or so. They're used in food packaging, in cookware, in common household products, um, including cosmetics. Um, we see them used in various industries such as chrome plating, electronics manufacturing, oil recovery, and, and also used in firefighting foam. And I think by knowing where these products have been used, I think that will really add some value to, to our conversation today. Um, but when we talk about PFAS chemicals, there's thousands of PFOS chemicals out there. Um, but there's three that get a lot of the attention, and those threes are PFOA, PFOS, and Gen X. PFOS are a huge issue. So HRP created the PFOS Pulse, a subscription service and newsletter to keep everyone informed on the latest issues regarding PFOS. And we decided to create a podcast to go along with the Pulse. So if you're ready to stay informed on all things PFOS, make sure to subscribe. And enjoy episode one of the PFOS Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome everyone to the first episode of the PFOS Pulse podcast. Now, in case any of you don't know already, the PFOS Pulse is a free subscription service offered by HRP Associates to keep you informed on all the latest information related to PFOS. That's regulatory, legislative, compliance, everything you can imagine, it's on the Pulse. That comes to you through a newsletter, but you can also find it on our website. Now, the PFOS Pulse podcast, or P3 as we affectionately know it around the office, is going to be a companion piece to that service, where we'll talk about some of the headlines that are coming through for PFOS, we'll break down some more complicated topics, and also have opportunities to interview experts in the field. So what should you expect? Well, as many of you already know, HRP has a monthly recurring podcast called The 312 Podcast. It's a great podcast. If you're not subscribed to it already, get over there and subscribe. This podcast, P3, the PFOS Pulse Podcast, is going to be coming out as soon as we have new information. So you can expect to see probably at least one a month. But what we're going to do is when we have the latest to roll out for you, it's going to be out there on the PFOS Pulse Podcast. So make sure you subscribe to this one as well because you don't want to miss any of those important updates. Now, for our very first episode, I have with me Sean Malin. Sean, want to say hi to everybody out there? Hey, Tom. Hey, everybody in PFOS land. I hope everybody's doing okay. Thanks, Sean. And what we are doing today is that we are going to look at what is new on the Pulse. Now, a lot of the episodes you're going to get from us are going to be in this format, where we're going to kind of briefly go over those top headlines for the Pulse and kind of talk about what's new there and have Sean give me the layman's uh, understanding of some of our more technical and more complicated headlines going on there. On the, the pulse of the pulse, 
So, uh, as this companion piece, Tom, I think that first and foremost, we should uh, let our listeners know that we have hundreds of pieces of information, of content, uh, on our website and through the subscription service. So, as you explained, we're going to kind of cherry pick here hot topics. So, Sean, what is our first big item on the pulse that is hot right now? Um, We're recording this at the end of September, recognizing that PFOS is a very fast-moving and fluid topic. And so I have for you today two big things. What do you got? got? So first and foremost, um, at the beginning of September, I believe it was September 2nd, the EPA made an announcement of the first validated laboratory method to test for PFOS in a variety of different environmental media. What is the significance of being validated? What does that actually mean? And, And like, why is that an important step? Does that... Enforceable, enforceable. So they answer your question. So it's that's what it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and and I'm the wrong guy. If you want to know what the term validated means in a laboratory sense, I'm just a Mm -hmm. bonehead geologist. But what this means to the regulatory community is that for months, years now, um, regulation, whether on the federal level or the state level, has been to some extent a theory, a, a warning, a impending, like we're going to do this and you need to prepare. Um, the fact that this method has been validated by the EPA is really quite a watershed moment um, because it means that now, you know, if you think about how regulation takes place, it's hard to enforce any kind of standards if you don't have a laboratory method with which you can analyze soil, groundwater, surface water discharge, if you don't have a method that's been agreed upon by the technical community with which to analyze a sample, then how can you promulgate any kind of action levels for that? Sorry, action levels. What are those? Oh, what are action levels? I mean, action levels are uh, certain thresholds. You, you submit a sample, you get an analytical result of a concentration of a particular chemical, whether it be PFAS or petroleum products or volatile organic compounds. And you compare that concentration versus a standard or an action level that has through uh, the rigors of um, risk assessment and toxicology studies, uh, someone, some committee, some large group of people has deemed that that's the level that we want to get the concentration down to, to ensure that people are safe and and going about their business. So initially I was thinking that's the level at which you need to take action, but that's the level you need to be at so that you don't have to take action? That's kind of a complicated question, Tom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that, like, for example, from a groundwater standpoint, uh-huh. um, if you have a known release and you're in a remedial effort, right, then you have high levels of concentrations of contaminant X. And in general, a groundwater standard would be something that you would use to compare your data of what's ongoing at the site as a target of what you'd like to get to in order to drop the risk of that particular facility and, and, and bring things as close as you can back to background, if you will, before the release take it, took into account. You know, on a, on a wastewater discharge sample, you know, an action level could be, yeah, as long as we are only putting out a concentration of X and it's not over the established action level, then we can continue to discharge, you know, that effluent stream without any kind of problem from the local POTW or uh, the state involvement, things like that. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. So it's it's kind of a viewpoint thing, half full, half, half empty, depending on who you yep. talk to and what, what 
what media you're thinking about. Mm. And that's the kind of the context we're talking about in this latest PFOS headline. Yes. Yes. Mm. It's, it's, so now there is a method that we can test things for. And so that's going to have a ripple effect because we've already talked about lots of states have moved forward with their own uh, drinking water uh, action levels or standards in the absence of federal regulation. And so what you have here now is not only is the EPA uh, kind of catching up to some of the states that have uh, gotten in front of them, but maybe not more important, but but as important, you know, this method is going to be used for different types of sample, not just drinking water. It's going to, you can use this for wastewater, for surface water, for soils, uh, landfill leachate, fish tissue, sediments. So this is really going to fit into the EPA's plan for how they intend to regulate uh, PFOS compounds. Gotcha. So the patchwork quilt is being replaced by a, a very a lovely duvet. Uh, yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> that analogy sure. worked there? Yeah, it's getting there. It's getting okay. there. I'd say it's like, uh, one the regulation or the analogy? Both. I'd say it's one quarter okay. duvet with mm-hmm. kind of more of a, of a goose down. Ooh. Uh, but the patchwork quilt is definitely single layer and not very, you know. So keep in mind that prior to us establishing a method that the EPA can agree upon, you know, really the main action level on a federal level was a 70 PPT, that's parts per trillion, mm-hmm. which is minuscule. Okay. Um, it was a health advisory level. So this was a non-enforceable, you know, we'd really like you to meet this kind of criteria here. Um, and and frankly, it didn't have a whole lot of teeth. It, it certainly gave people a, a level to shoot for. But as far as motivating folks to investigate ensure that they don't have high quantities of PFOS and things. It was kind of a, okay, this is coming, um, but we don't have to do anything yet. This lab method complements some of the other uh, methods that are currently out there for potable and non-potable. Potable? Potable? uh, Drinking water. Potable. Potable? No. So in addition to this lab method complementing some of these other methods that are currently out there, it actually adds, at a minimum, 11 more compounds to the list. So Early methods, we were looking at 24 compounds uh, for non-potable. Potable? Potable? Uh, we were looking at 29 for drinking water. And so now, at a minimum, uh, we're all the way up to 40. So that's huge because the net continues to cast wider. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, in the literature, or no matter where you look, I mean, the, the count of these compounds is in the thousands. So I think that people should take note that the, the compounds, the number of compounds that we're going to be examining through this process are going to uh, grow exponentially. Mm-hmm. And I think the last most important part of all this is that in the EPA's news release, they call out directly that this method can be used in various applications, including the National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System, or if you're talking to a consultant's NPDES. So what this means is we are now going to incorporate, you're going to see state agencies incorporate the analysis of PFOS compounds into uh, NPDES permits, pretreatment permits for industrial users that discharge to POTWs. I know that's a whole bunch of letters there, but we're basically talking about uh, effluent wastewater flow that's either going to the municipal plant or is it uh, levels that are for the sake of argument, innocuous that are getting discharged to surface water bodies and things like that. 
So this is pretty big. And the reason why it's big is that outside of some sort of horrific event where we have offsite uh, contamination, right? Like think Comores in, in North Carolina or some of these other types of national news type stories. So what incorporating uh, PFOS into these types of permits, what that is, is doing is obviously primarily it's, it's preventing uh, PFOS for getting into our natural environment. But more importantly is it is providing a data grab for regulatory entities to know who has PFOS at their facility. And when you think about how contaminants are regulated, you either have a point source of an of a incident where there's a release of chemicals, it goes off site, and then you have a big remediation effort and, and headlines are made, right, in national news. Or uh, in the absence of those types of situations, which at this point in time, there's lots of them uh, in regards to PFOS around DOD facilities and of course chemical manufacturers. But there's a belief out there that there's a lot more sites that have uh, PFOS impacts. And so how else, what better way would the EPA and state agencies have to try to understand who has PFOS in their processes, who makes them, who distributes them, who uses them, than to examine their wastewater effluent. It's, it's really, if you're a regulator, it's the perfect avenue to uh, kind of sweep the, the other side of the problem, right? You have the, the large problems, large releases. We got to clean this up because uh, people are getting sick. And now they have the other piece of the puzzle where through regulation and through routine monitoring, they are actually going to be receiving data that shows that people have certain levels of PFOS in their streams. And they're going to use that information to ask questions when questions about offsite PFOS uh, concerns uh, come up. All right. Excellent. Good stuff, Sean. What is item number two on the pulse? Item number two pertains to the Preliminary Effluent Guidelines Program Plan, parentheses, Preliminary Plan 15. Wow. Yeah. Please don't ask me to do that again. (laughs) I hope I got it on that take. What this has, in short, is it is a a, uh, series. It's out for public comment. Okay, so this is rulemaking in action here. And I believe that public comments to this Preliminary Plan 15 are due by October 14th. So... Uh, We're a couple of weeks into the public comment period, but this is in regards to effluent limitation guidelines. So this is very much related to uh, item number one, which was the laboratory method. Now we're talking about uh, establishing those action levels that we were talking about earlier and what they're going to be and for what industry. Mm -hmm. This plan is a biennial published plan um, where the EPA comes out and in different sectors, they'll target uh, different aspects of different industries across the board. And they come up with uh, these things and try to group uh, manufacturing into categories. For example, organic chemicals, plastics, and synthetic fibers, OCPSF. Are you still awake, Tom? Are you with me? Yes, I'm still here. So that's chemical manufacturers and plastic folks, right? But then you have other types. Uh, metal finishing uh, came up in this particular plan, which is really interesting because they're, they're focused on the use of PFOS in chromium electroplating facilities. You know, there's other non-PFOS entities that are part of this plan, like meat and poultry. We don't have to worry about that. But also just kind of a heads up as what's coming down the road here and what studies and what data. Textile and carpet manufacturers came up in this. Leachate from landfills came up in this. 
They intend to publish a proposed steam electric power generating ELG supplemental rule in the fall of 2022. And I, I, the reason why I'm spitting all these acronyms at you is because I think that it's important to recognize that this isn't just a chemical industry focus anymore, that if you weren't paying attention, it's starting to propagate into a variety of different industries here. Mm. Okay, we looked at our EPA items. We've looked at our big, all-encompassing stuff. Let's talk local now. What's going on at the local levels for PFAS? Local stuff. Okay, well, let's see here. A couple of items of note here. Connecticut made the news. Tom, you're sitting in Connecticut. Yay. Early September, Connecticut is going to inspect more than 2,400 locations in the hunt for dangerous PFAS chemical contamination. We have in North Carolina, wells polluted with PFAS found 18 miles from the original facility. That was a headline there. 3M still in the news in Minnesota, costing taxpayers billions of dollars. Michigan is considering their own pretreatment limits for PFAS. So, you know, that's kind of, that's just kind of a, a little smattering there of all of the different types of information, whether it be research, in the news, legislation, regulation, items that we try to capture and populate onto the pulse. That's right, folks. If you want to hear or want to learn more information about anything that we've discussed today, make sure you are subscribed to The Pulse. That's where you're going to get the detailed info. That's where we are going to push out that latest information as soon as it comes in. Obviously, subscribe to the podcast here so you can hear our charming personalities and lovely voices breaking down the headlines. But when you want all of the info, you've got to subscribe to The Pulse. You can follow the links in the description for this podcast to get subscribed to The Pulse or go to hrpassociates.com slash PFOS to find the links to subscribe. So, subscribe to the newsletter. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the 312 podcast, too, while you're out there subscribing to everything. And make sure to keep your eye on this feed for all of the latest. Sean, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. All right. And we appreciate everyone out there being with us. We'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody.